listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So from looking at Psalm chapter 8, y'all can help me out with this. Um, what stood out to you, a word or phrase, was especially significant um, in this chapter for you? The work of your fingers. Yeah. Majesty, glory, and strength. Yeah. Heard another voice, I think. The word majestic, yes. Impressive beauty, yes. Yeah. What is man? Mm -hmm. What is man that you are mindful? Yes. He said his glory above the heavens. Dominion. You have. Yeah. When we look at these, and I would imagine that most of us are in that in that same vein. There's uh, there's the beauty, glory, majesty of God. So if if we look here, um, it, it, and this probably stood out to you, but if you look at verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, which other verse has that is the exact same? Verse number nine, the very last one. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So here we have, this is the primary idea of the psalm. That's what it starts with. That's what it ends with. Uh, this is actually the very first psalm of praise in the book of Psalms. And so the Latin word for that is inclusio. It begins and it ends with the same thing. So here we have the idea, how majestic, how lifted up, how magnificent is your name in all of the earth. These are bookends. The author lets us know it's all pointing to him. But look how he actually begins also in verse number one. He says, oh, Lord, our Lord. What is the difference between those two lords? Why does he use it twice? Does anybody see the difference there between those two? That's right, one's in all caps and one is, is not. One has a capital L, one has a capital L-O-R-D. And we've seen that throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, whenever we see Lord in all caps, it's the literal name for creator God, Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Yes, and so he says here, he begins with, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord. And so the second Lord is actually there a, a title for God, but the word Yahweh is a personal name of God. So he's saying, yes, you are majestic, you're high and you're lifted up, but it's also the personal name. This is the one, the being who created all things, and he is the ruler of all. But right between those two lords, what's the word that we see there? Our Lord. He is our Lord. He is a personal God. And here we're going to be referencing this personal God. So he is our in a communal, plural sense. But friend, listen, this morning, he is also your Lord. He is a personal Lord for every single one of us. All of us are under his command. He is speaking to us through this psalm this morning. So I want us to see seven things quickly as we walk 
probably run, maybe even sprint through this passage. But the first one is this, is that this is not a song about God, but it is a song to him. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. He is our personal God and we are speaking and singing this to him personally. Then we get to the second, or the second phrase there in verse number one, how majestic is your name? We mentioned the word majestic. Maybe your translation says significant, uh, or sorry, it may say ma- magnificent. How majestic, how magnificent is your name? In other words, what the psalmist here is saying is that creation cannot contain your greatness. In all that we see in all of creation, it still does not contain the greatness of God. The expanse of the glory of God cannot be contained even to the ends of existence. His name is magnificent. His beauty, his power is in, as it says, how majestic is your name? In all of the earth, the beauty and the power of God is seen everywhere we look. Notice here, keep going. You have set your glory above the heavens. Here's the second thing that I want to see is that the greatest threat to modern Christianity is distraction. The reason that we can read this and mostly it stays up here and it doesn't affect our hands, our hearts, our feet, our words, is because we are distracted by so many things and not necessarily bad things. A cell phone is not in and of itself evil. I have one in my pocket right now. A family is certainly not evil but they can become distractions. Your children are not evil most of the time, but they can become distractions. Your job, money, Amazon Prime Days, like those things are not in and of themselves inherently evil, but they become distractions for us. And here we have the psalmist saying, in verse number one, oh Lord, how majestic is your name over everything else? So as we read verse number one, here's what we need to understand. We don't get it because we are often so distracted by the things around us, we often stop to ponder and to meditate on, to linger on the fact that God is majestic. He is powerful. He is beautiful. You have set your glory above the heavens. That word glory there is a royal term. And in Hebrew, the, the word is chod. Everybody say chod. Okay, that was pretty decent, like from this side. All right, this side. Everybody say, hold. All right, that was, all right, y'all warming up. That's good. That is a royal term. Where else do we see that word in this passage? Which verse? Verse number five. You know what the Hebrew word there is for glory? You already know it. It's the word hold. Good job, David. Gold star. Uh, The word is not different. What the psalmist is saying here, what the word of God is saying is that the glory of God is displayed through mankind. So we have the glory of God there. And as we look around, we see the glory of God around us. We are his royal representatives in all of creation. The same word glory is used both times. Verse number two. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Out of the mouths of babies. So many around us, even religious folks, they think they're so smart, so powerful, they have things figured out. And what God says is, man, even the babbling of babies, which I wish we had like a kid just kind of babbling right now. We had that last week. I should have preached Psalm 8 last week. Um, But even that is saying, man, God is beautiful. He is powerful to create life. 
If you think back to Matthew chapter 21, you actually have the Pharisees, Sadducees. Um, they are trying to confront Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're not living according to our religious standard. And Jesus there in Matthew 21, he actually quotes this verse from Psalm chapter eight. He says, you don't get it. You think that you've elevated yourself even above the knowledge of God, thinking that you can control that you know better than what he does. And even babies understand that they are created in God's image and they are glorifying him. Even small, it's, it's so simple. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Look at verse number three. When I look at your heavens, and this is where we get to, David, the work of your fingers. When I look at your heavens, the work of your, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Did a little bit of research a couple weeks ago on uh, just some um, space, uh, solar system, you know, kind of stats. And usually they just kind of blow my mind. If you're like, it's just like, so here's what I saw is that there are 100 quintillion stars in our space. It's just like, I don't even know where to start with that, you know? But that's a one followed by 17 zeros. That's a lot of stars. There are actually even more planets than there are stars. There are 2 billion galaxies. In our galaxy, the Milky Way, we are uh, just one solar system in the middle of the Milky Way. And there are, sorry, there are 2 trillion galaxies. Like it really matters. You know, it's just like, what's a few more zeros? There are 2 trillion galaxies. And in the Milky Way, there are 200 billion solar systems. In our galaxy, 200 billion solar systems. Let me put that into a bit of a visual for you, okay? Who has a, who has a coffee cup in here? Not like a thermos. Who's got a coffee cup? Anybody? All right, Michael, right there. All right, so imagine that this coffee cup is our solar system. Our sun, all of our eight, nine, ten planets, depending on which year it is, you know, uh, depending on which article you read, uh, whether you have Fox News or MSNBC. I'm just kidding. I don't care. Uh, but just, so imagine this is our solar system right here, that coffee mug. Everybody with me? That's our solar system of which you cannot see Earth, you know. Uh, all of North America, in comparison to that coffee mug, all of North America is the Milky Way. That's how big the Milky Way is. Milky Way is all of North America. That is our solar system. That's huge. Michael, if you just hold that up the rest of the sermon, that'd be, I'm just kidding. Thank you. NASA says that it would take 15 billion years if we were to send a message to the edge of the known universe. It would take 15 billion years moving at the speed of light which is, anybody know? 186,000 miles per second. It would take 15 billion years for a message to reach the edge of the universe. Even if they're off by a few billion. Here's what we see. In verse number three, this is just finger painting to God. This is the work of my fingers. Some of y'all, your kids come home and you put their artwork on the refrigerator. This is a different level. And I'm sure your kids are really cool, all right? The finger painting of God are the sun and the moon and the stars, quintillions, billions, stuff that absolutely blows our mind. And notice in verse number four, in light of verse number three, what is man? The psalmist doesn't say who. 
He doesn't make it personal. Notice the psalmist is just like, man, in light of all that God has done, what is man? What is the son of man? That word son right there is, is really not even a personal term. It's the word ma in Hebrew. And he's saying, man, the son of man, mankind is so fragile. Life is so messed up. We have so many issues. In light of God, what are we? What are we? And if the psalm were to end right here with the majesty and glory, beauty, power of God, man, what is man? Notice there's just an unfathomable chasm between the beauty and power of God and mankind. If the psalm ends right there, we have no hope. We cannot even begin to approach the presence of God or to wrap our minds around the character and nature of God. But notice how the psalmist turns that perspective on his head. Now that's true, the beauty power of God, but notice the context of verse number four. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Listen, friend, you fill the mind of God. The mind of God is filled with thoughts and with love and with care and compassion and grace and mercy for you. We fill the mind of God. It's kind of weird to consider the fact that he's thinking of us, but that's what the word of God says. It's weird to think that he is near to us, that he is beside, that he cares for us, but that's what the word of God says. Here's the third truth that I want us to see this morning is that however you are this morning, however you are spiritually, emotionally, physically, he is here with you. However you will be tomorrow, however you will be the next day, this week, he is here with you. You are filling the mind of God. And that's not because you're so special. Don't forget the chasm between us and God. It's because God is so gracious. He is so loving. As you grieve, he is grieving. As you smile, he is smiling. As you are up, he is up. As you are down, he is down. As you are crying, he is crying with you. That's why it says he cares for you. He is with you. In our mortality. So here we have the beauty, the, the grandeur of God, and we have our mortality. When we recover our mortality, we're reminded of our sinfulness, then we grow in greater appreciation of the character, nature, and love of God. You see, Genesis chapter three, the lie there, you can be like God. That's the problem with our society, is that instead of being cared for by God, instead of being loved for him, instead of being recipients of his grace, of his mercy, of his compassion, we want to be like God. And we see it all around us. That's why in the confession earlier, we are, uh, uh, we are riddled with pride, with spending money on things, with making ourselves look good, with possessions, with security, with safety that we can provide for ourselves because we want to be God. We want ourselves to be made much of and we are designed, created to be loved by God. We must recover our mortality so that we can understand the good identity that we've been given by God. 
We are but dust. We are but clay pots. We're only in this flesh for a number of days. Yet God has time for you. He has time for you and for you. He has time for you. He thinks about you. He cares for you, for every single one of us. We fill the mind of God. Here's how I can summarize that in the fourth point, is that when you see how great God is and how fragile and fleeting you are, you equally see how profoundly you matter. In order to understand your purpose and the way that God has created you and the mission that he has given your life and the calling that he has set before you, you must understand the greatness of God and the fragility of who you are. Only then can your life profoundly matter for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. This is really good news. We don't have to create a sense of purpose for ourselves. We receive it from creator God, from Yahweh. Let's look at verse number five. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This him that we see in verse number five, yet you have made him. Uh, I've heard pastors preach this before. They skip the first four verses uh, and they look and say, oh, well, he's talking about Jesus here. No, no, no. The him he's talking about is the son of man. It's the, what is man that you are mindful of him. So in other words, you have made, he has made us a little lower than that heavenly beings there. If you look at old translations of this, it actually is talking about God. So we we think God and angels, then man. That's actually not what it's saying here. The heavenly beings is including God in that. The psalmist is saying, and the word of God is saying, we have God, the holiness, grandeur of God, and we're made just a little lower than that and crowned him with glory. So when we look at the galaxies in the night sky, or even easier, as you look at the person who's sitting beside, just look at somebody right now. All right, look at somebody who you like. All right, look at somebody who you don't like. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Look at somebody who, okay, single folks, look at somebody who, you know, you wish liked you. as you look at that person, we often think we can look back at verse three, verse four. Oh man, the glory of God is high. We see it in the galaxies. It is easier for you to see the glory of God on display by looking at the person beside you than it is even looking at the galaxies and the stars because it is on you that the glory of God rests. The glory of God right now is filling this room because he is filling with people created in his image. The glory of God is on display as you go to your home today, as you talk to your brother, to your spouse, to your sister, to your parents. It's on display as you discuss um, the, the tree that's overgrown into your yard with your neighbor. As you go to work, you are talking to someone who is uh, endowed, crowned with the glory of God. As you're sitting in traffic, giving someone, you know, telling them they're number one uh, as they they ride your bumper. That person is crowned with the glory of God as you go to the gas station, as you go to the gym. We see the glory of God all around us by looking at those who are created in God's image. May that transform the way that we see those around us, the way that we love, the way that we care, the way that we display his honor and glory. Here's a question for us. If we were to see people like that, if we were to see people like that, how would that transform our culture? 
That's a non-rhetorical question. How would, that, how would that transform our culture if we saw people like that? A lot more love and compassion, yeah. Anybody else? Say it again. We would see the brokenness, yeah. Say it again. Respect, we'd be able to respect each other. A lot more forgiveness, yeah. We'd be more patient, yeah. As a church, as South Point McDonough, if we saw those here in this room, those around us, as we went back to our homes, how would that transform us as a people, as a family, as a body, if we interacted with them in a way that we understood that the glory of God was resting on their heads? Bad timing. I needed you like seven minutes ago. I'm just kidding. So if you look at verse number two, uh, we see the babbling of babies. I'm just kidding. How would that transform us as a church? David said, yeah, that those around us would, would feel the value of God through our words, through our actions. Those who are downtrodden, yeah. We as a people would value life in the womb if we understood the glory of God. There would, we would not look at a brother or a sister created in the image of God with the glory of God on them and say, ah, man, they're different than me. I'm gonna treat them differently. There would be an interracism to discrimination, to hate. There would be an end to, to not caring for those who are elderly. There would be an end to gossip, to pride. It would all be coming from God. Our glory, we understand our glory is from God and we would be giving him glory. It would transform the way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we speak, the way that we love. It would, there would be an end to I know the movie that just came out a couple weeks ago. There would be an end to sexual um, sex trafficking. There would be an end to pornography. Here's the next question. I know I've got to, I got to hustle. But if you want to see, this is the fifth thing, I believe. Do you want to see the glory of God on display? Look in the mirror. It's one thing for us to say, look at the galaxies, look at the stars. It's another to say, okay, look at those around us. But I would say that this is where most of us struggle. Because for many, if we had not read through this first, if I said, hey, what do you see when you look in the mirror? What would you say? What do you see when you look in the mirror? Flaws. What else? Man, maybe y'all aren't like me and Jake. I don't know. <laughs> we all messed up, yeah. I know for me, what I wrote in my notes was failure, disappointment. Something is missing. I've messed up. Anybody else there? Regret. 
That's what we see when we look in the mirror. Maybe you see abuse. Maybe you see poor decisions. Maybe you're just like, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what that is. But here's what I do know is that when God looks at you, consider that for a moment. What does God see when he looks at you? What does he see? He sees glory and honor. What else? He sees you. He sees his son. He sees Jesus. Yeah. He sees, say it again. His creation. He sees one who is loved. He sees one who is not a failure, but one who is accepted. He sees redeemed, chosen, spoken for, seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees a recipient of grace. He sees one who is filled with the glory of God. He sees one who is beloved, who is adopted, who is a child. So it's easy for, oh yeah, okay, that person is this. Friend, when you look in the mirror, may we reframe or reorient our identity to that which God sees. Verses six through eight. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. How did God create in days, on days one through five? How did God create? He spoke. He spoke it into existence. How did God create on day six? He breathed. First five days of creation, everything else that we see. Day six, he creates mankind. He gets down. He says, here's the dust of the ground that he'd already spoken into existence. He gets down and he takes some of the dust. Instead of just saying life, he takes his life, his purpose, his identity, and he breathes his breath into the dust. And out of that breath from that forming comes mankind. We've been given the Imago Dei. We're created in God's image. He gets down personally intimately, relationally with us. That's how we are created. That's how we're designed. That's our purpose. It comes from him. The first five days of creation, what does he say about his creation? That it is good. Day six, what does he say? It is very good. He says, it is very good. That is how we are different than everything else in all of creation. We have the image of God. We have the purpose of God. Here's the sixth thing. Your primary identity is that of saint, not of sinner. We had friends back in the day, and uh, they, would, they wanted to instill in their children um, just a really strong doctrine of depravity, which is that they are sinners. And at the, at the time, I was like, yeah, that's good. I want my kids to know that they are sinners, but they would often, they would always refer to their kids as, ah, oh, that little sinner. Hey, come here, little sinner, little heathen, little this, this and that. And at the time I was like, yeah, they need to instill, like there's, there's something necessary in that child. Like they need hope. They need Jesus. At the time I got it. But as I think about it now, I, ha- I have to go back and look at Genesis 1. When we were created in the image of God, he says, 
you are mine. So then it's like, okay, well, what about after the fall, okay? Notice how Paul starts every single one of his letters. He doesn't say, hey, you bunch of dirty, filthy scoundrels. Here's what you're doing wrong. What in the world? No, he begins with, dear loved ones, dear saints, you who are chosen by God, who are at peace with God, who are loved by God, this is our primary identity, is that of saint, not of sinner. Augustine said this uh, a few years ago. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. In other words, here's the last thing. Your worth comes from God for his glory so that you may experience relational beauty. We're created by the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is perfect love, which is relational beauty. That's how we were designed. That's what we're created for. We're created to be in perfect, loving relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're created to be in perfect, loving relationship, relational beauty with each other. Now, has sin marred that? Absolutely. It's messed that up, but that is our design, friends. We look here at Psalm chapter eight, and I would ask you, that's our design. So often we are clouded by, distracted by the things of this world. We forget the beauty and majesty of God. We forget our purpose. And I would ask you, when was the last time you saw the stars? When was the last time physically? You're like, that's a spiritual metaphor here. No, like literally, what's the last time, when's the last time you actually saw the stars? And you were in awe of the vast array of these giant balls of gas flying through, floating through, I don't know what they're doing, sitting through the universe. Through these, and you can't even see the trillions of quadrillions of stars. I know for me, I, I live in a subdivision, which we have street lights at night. We live relatively close to Atlanta. I have lights on outside. And if you try to sneak up on my house, I have more lights that come on, all right? So watch out. But it's hard for me to see the stars physically. You've got to get away from distractions. You have to get out in the country. In the country. You've got to get out there where you're not distracted by the lights, where you can actually see the beauty of God's creation. And I ask you this morning, friend, when was the last time that you saw the stars in a spiritual sense? When was the last time you stopped and you just gazed at the beauty of who God is? When was the last time that you weren't distracted by your phone or by what's for lunch or what's happening next or by work or by getting things done or with your own safety or security or your possessions or creating a name for yourself or identity for yourself? When was the last time you were able to see the glory and grandeur of God? When you were able to experience his relational beauty and step into that presence that he has called us into? The invitation for you this morning is one into relational beauty. That's how we were created and designed. And that purpose is still there right in front of us. And in fact, verse number nine, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. In all of the earth, we are made for a better kingdom. We're made for a better king. We're made for a better reality than being distracted right here. We're made for a reality that is 
in beautiful relationship with the creator of all things. And here we take that good news, like Mark mentioned, to those around us. We put on display his mercy, his grace, his identity to our kids, to our spouses, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to those at the end of the earth. That is the mission that he has here for us. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. He is the only hope for the world. This morning, he's the only hope for your heart. He's the only hope for whatever struggle you're bringing in here this morning. He is the only hope for your family. He is the only hope for us as a church. May we be a church that says, how majestic, how lifted up is your name in all of the earth. Jesus Christ, he tasted death so that we could be invited to intimacy with him. He was placed in the ground. He died a death that we deserve to die because of our sinfulness. He rose victorious so that we could be brought into perfect relationship with Yahweh. Oh, Lord, our Lord. So as we participate in this meal that we call communion, that was instituted by Jesus Christ himself, we're reminded of how great he is. We're reminded of our fallenness. We're reminded of his nature of his compassion, his love for us, his care for us. Oh man, that you are my, what is man that you are mindful of him? This is a reminder for us that we fill the mind of God. And may our minds and our hearts, our lives, may this body of believers, may we be filled with the majesty, with the glory of God. It's only in him that we can experience full life. It's only in him that we can experience full love, and so we celebrate his presence this morning. This is what we were created for. This is but a foretaste of being in his presence for all of eternity. And I would plead with you that you would fall upon his mercy if you never have. You say, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if I call myself a Christian. I don't know. I would say fall upon the mercy of God. Place your faith and your hope in him and him alone. That means surrendering to your worldview, that means surrendering to your kingdom, to what you define as life and step into what we are created for, relationship with him. We repent of our sin. We confess our sin. We turn to him in faith, knowing that the penalty has been paid on our behalf. So friend, I would ask you as we participate in this, this is for those who have placed their faith in Christ and him alone. If you never have, call out to him cry out to him, even in this moment. Let's pursue the glory of God together. Family, you're invited to join me at one of these stations.